Hola, yo soy Margarita y estás escuchando Limehouse Podcast. This is Paddy Ashdown and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. What a good name that is. Hi, I'm Tom Brake and this is the Limehouse Podcast. Hello, this is Nick Clegg and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Because I'm not persuaded by the case for war. This is what positive politics can do. Hello, welcome back to the Limehouse Podcast. How have you been? How have you been doing? I'm good. I'm, I'm a bit tired. I've got to be honest. I'm a bit full of cold. It's been one hell of a day. You know how crazy this week has been politically. We've got Ken Clark on the show. It's amazing. We've had. A, I've had the most unbelievably mad day. We've had David Runciman, uh, chat with David Runciman, which went really, really fantastically well. And then I lost the audio of it. Fantastic. Great. But I, I did a backup of Ken Clark, and we have, we have it. Brilliant. Fantastic. And then after Ken, after the conversation we have with Ken Clark, which is absolutely fantastic, we have a panel chat. And that's going to be with your, your favourite Tom King and a, a newbie. Amna Ahmed, and I'm really excited to have Amna on the show, and I hope you guys are going to stick around for that after Ken's chat with me. We, we, maybe we yeah, we kind of like um, go go into more forensic detail about what happened on the 13th of December yesterday, uh, Wednesday this week, the Amendment Number Seven on the uh, withdrawal bill on the Brexit, and we discuss it in detail. What that, what that, what what that meant, and I, I know a lot of you guys probably already have been on Twitter. You've probably been on Facebook. You've probably been trying to keep get your get your head around it all. And we're just going to kind of focus in on it a bit. But anyway, I'm really tired, so I'm probably not making a lot of sense. That's that's pretty fair to say, I think. So I'm just going to play this out for you right now, and I hope you enjoy it. And I will see you on the other side. Yes, last night the vote. That, that was something. Um, and obviously Stephen Hammond was on the radio this morning um, saying it was, he feels a little dismayed as to why we even had to have a vote in the first place. Would, would you say you feel dismayed at this point? I think the government should have had the sense to concede it uh, and should have uh, made it clear they were going to concede it much earlier. Uh, but that's all the tactics of it. Uh, the point we made was very important, uh, that Parliament is, uh, government's got to be accountable to Parliament for the terms of any uh, deal that it negotiates. Uh, they don't know what they want to negotiate at the moment, but the idea that you just leave it to ministers and their officials, and that's got nothing to do with Parliament, whether they approve or not, mm. of new arrangements which are going to determine our trade, our investment, our relationships with lots of other agencies on everything from nuclear safeguarding, environment and so on, but this has nothing to do with Parliament, was a rather ridiculous position for the government to maintain, and I hope they don't try to go back to it. Yeah, no. Funnily enough, I was at work yesterday and had a client's Wi-Fi signal. I was out of podcasts, I was out of anything to listen to, so I thought, I wonder what's on Parliament TV. I know there's some sort of amendment going on today. And lo and behold, I turn on, and, and you're delivering your, your speech. Oh, you turned on at the right moment. I did, Ken. Very good. It yeah. was very... It was, uh, <laughs> well, that explained why I was just insisting that 
Yeah, the, the, the corny phrase we're all using, which is government started it, is yeah. we need a meaningful vote in yeah. the House of Commons. And it really was rather preposterous that the government were resisting it. It's because they haven't got a majority and they don't, they're trying to avoid votes on Europe like the plague at the moment. But that, that is not how a parliamentary democracy works. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And um, would you say you're, you're proud of yourself and your other colleagues for rebelling last night? I don't want to start getting puffed up with pride. No, I just have not <laughs> remotely changed my mind. I think yeah. it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Uh, I, I've been in the House of Commons a long time. I yeah. think that government is accountable to the House of Commons uh, for uh, its policies and for what it signs up to on behalf of the country. Uh, I, you know, I can start doing the, the old fogey bit and saying I've never in my life heard a government before try to claim that they, they didn't want to be accountable for what they yeah. negotiate with 27 of probably our most important partners in the world. Yeah, no, and I suppose for me I'd, I'd like to know why it took so long for Parliament to stand, to stand up for, the, for their own right. That's a very good question because uh, there are enormous pressures on backbench MPs just to play the tribal game yeah. and vote with their party, which I do, 99 times out of 100, I believe in the party political system and collective responsibility. But they're all terrified of the Daily Mail and the Daily Telegraph, which denounce them ferociously and, uh, to their public uh, whenever they do anything. They all signed up to the referendum. Uh, they all, Unlike me, they all said they would regard change their opinions if, depending on what the referendum said. And they're all being told that because the referendum voted to leave Europe, uh, that means they have no say at all in what that means, you know, what the alternative is, what yeah. we do instead, uh, which I don't think is um, very helpful. And they're all under huge pressure from their yeah. uh, constituency associations, the activists back home, who tend to be rather more left-wing than the average Labour voter if you're a Labour um, MP and tend to be rather more right-wing than the average Conservative voter if you're a Conservative MP. Yeah, and um, an interesting thought crossed my mind and my colleague's mind this morning was that after the dust has settled um, in, yes, you know, finally the, 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 the headbangers of Brexit have been sort of perhaps not, not kotowed as such, but they've been, oh, this is, this is what democracy looks like, this is our sovereignty. Once that has died down... Um, does this not bring a hard Brexit back into the realms of possibility, so this, the vote last night? I know the vote last night vote makes it a little less likely because it demonstrates that it's the more pro-European people who can defeat the government. The hardline Brexiteers are in a small minority in the House of Commons. And you, about 50 yeah. on our side, about 10 on the Labour Party. Uh, hard light, right, hard left, as it, as it always has been. And, and the, 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 they can't defeat the government. Uh, the, the, the more pro-European can if they actually come together across party. But obviously Conservatives are reluctant to vote against the government, so yeah. the Labour Party can only persuade enough people to join them uh, on big issues. And the, the trouble with last night, where, where, where it's made a big improvement in process. We now, I think, can be reasonably confident that Parliament will play a role in, in steering the kind of things the government seeks, which should be helpful because the government at the moment has no idea uh, what it's actually going to try to negotiate yeah. uh, in these negotiations. The vote last night didn't affect the substance. Uh, I've been voting against the government frequently in this bill uh, and I keep voting for things that would keep us at least within the 
substance of the single market and the customs union, I'm in favour of not erecting protectionist barriers. I don't want new tariffs, mm. new regulatory barriers, new customs processes to be erected between us and the European Union, whether it's in Ireland or Dover. Yeah. Uh, and I keep voting for that. And, and so far, the House of Commons hasn't really come to a settled view on that because no. it hasn't been raised much and nobody's nobody's voted on anything of substance everybody keeps yeah. uh, just uh, rejecting any changes that try to bring that kind of thing in and and you you said there that we've last night's vote um suggests that there is now um a strengthening perhaps behind the uh the pro-european stance when it comes to voting however my my fear is that we'll get to the end the Brexit deal and we you you chaps you lovely MPs get a vote on it and then we have these sort of uh, European sceptics John McDonald and and uh, Jeremy Corbyn and uh, they vote hand in hand with with uh, with the Brexiteers as they've done. But so they're a China minority. Yeah, I mean yeah, Corbyn and McDonald, uh, Boris Johnson and Michael Gove are in a small minority in the House of Commons. Mm. Uh, they could muster probably about 60 votes between them. Yeah. Uh, but but they, their power vis-a-vis the government following the referendum is very strong. And then, of course, they've got this bizarre situation where they're all on the front bench of their parties. Yeah. Um, so th- they would try to steer uh, the government towards a far more hard-line Brexit than I would wish. And as far as the personal views are concerned and uh, the, the, the opinions of the other MPs from all parties uh, a much harder line than the vast majority of MPs want. Yeah. The vast majority of MPs think Britain should be in the European Union. Yeah. But unlike me, almost all of them have done a U-turn with the government and with the opposition uh, because of this referendum. Yeah. I did want to hop back a bit to um, Mrs Thatcher and whether or not she would have, first of all, would, would she have supported in, in light of where we are today, of single market and custom union exit. Well, she helped set it up. Yeah. Uh, and she denounced referendums. I, I can't remember the exact quote now, but she, someone tried to put a referendum to her. I think she said is, they were rubbish. <laughs> no, 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 she, no she, she said they were the last refuge of dictators, which of course yes, they are. Yes. Mussolini used them brilliantly. Napoleon yeah. used them. Uh, Charles de Gaulle, well, he wasn't a dictator, he used them, but he, he got upended. He called a wrong one in the end, and that's yeah. what brought him down. Perfect. But, uh, That's Jamie I mean, delivering people, us people who believe in parliamentary democracy, like yeah. Margaret Thatcher, yeah. like, like pretty well every British politician when I started, uh, think referendums are just a device to get round Parliament. Yeah. Uh, the purpose of demanding a referendum when people do is because they know they're in a part where there's no majority for their views in Parliament and they want to bypass Parliament and have a plebiscite yeah. in order to overrule the politicians. Yeah. And do you think that there was... A, a, weak, a, a weakness, a growing fear of Nigel Farage and UKIP that forced David Cameron's hand to give that referendum in that manifesto? Uh, well, they, he could have resisted them easily. They, they, it wasn't Nigel Farage, it was Farage's triumph, the whole thing was. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think David Cameron was worried about Farage. Yeah. D- David did it for extremely irresponsible, short-term political management reasons, as he explained to me when I complained to him. He was hoping it would quieten down our Eurosceptic backbenchers and get them to behave themselves in the run-up to the election. And then he'd hold the referendum after the election, and it never crossed his mind he'd lose it. Yeah. 
No, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Um, it's amazing how history turns quite often, but uh, it, it's, it's such an extraordinary. And, with and a, hugely important events take place for such trivial personal reasons sometimes. Well, no, that's, that's precisely it. Do you think it's a, 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 a question of a strength of character? Do, do, that these, that I think David was natural. just confident he could win any referendum or election. Or, well, he wasn't sure about the election. He was getting worried about that. Yeah. That's why he did this. But he was utterly convinced that uh, he'd almost won everything he'd ever tried in his life, really. Yeah. Uh, and he thought he'd be able to win it quite easily. It never crossed his mind yeah. that the, uh, the the Leave campaign might actually win it. It didn't cross Nigel Farage's mind either. Uh, everybody went on the assumption that Remain was going to win. Yeah. And it took them all by surprise on the night. Yeah. I think Boris Johnson was as shocked as David Cameron was <laughs> uh, when yeah. the result came in. Um, and... Um, obviously, there's the, um, the the question around uh, Theresa May's current strength within her own party. Um, constant question of leadership and uh, who would lead the party if she were to fall, or indeed if there were another general election anytime soon, we would maybe perhaps see a Corbyn government led government. Um, uh, no, they do. No. Well, firstly, I don't think the Conservative Party is quite mad enough yet to have a leadership crisis. Uh, the, the very fact that Theresa's rather reserved, rather enigmatic, uh, makes her able to be held the leadership when hardly anybody else could, because mm. she doesn't she doesn't actually excite the the, the, the into rebellion uh, either faction. Yeah. Uh, nobody's quite sure, you know, where she is, and she does you know, leads it rather skillfully. Yeah. Uh, the idea that we're going to a leadership election and have a great bust up. Uh, that probably would finally break the Conservative Party if she yeah. suddenly stepped down and we had a leadership election. I suppose I with, it's anybody's guess who would yeah. be. Well, I, th- I suppose I was going along more along the lines of if Corbyn were to be a Prime Minister under this, uh, with a with yeah, a but Corbyn, I, I, Corbyn thinks he's about to be Prime Minister because of the present situation. I don't think he is. With, he's yeah. the biggest handicap that the Labour Party face. If if the Labour Party had a more moderate leader. Uh, they're like they could, uh, nobody knows, but if, if there were an election in the next two or three months, uh, I suppose that they, they would be likely to win it. Yeah. But a lot of people voted for Corbyn last time because the experts all told them he couldn't possibly win. Yeah. Uh, he was about to suffer a landslide. Uh, he and McDonnell are too left wing, I think, just to sail into mm. Downing Street. Uh, There's mainly the threat of a Corbyn government is mainly used by the government whip's office and the right-wing newspapers to frighten Tory levels. But I don't think he will take over. Were the Labour Party to go back to having a social democrat leader, then they would do better. Uh, But everything would depend on where the election's called. At the moment, guessing elections, actually impossible. The public are still angry, haven't formed any settled views. Lots of people would make their mind up who they're going to vote for the night before the polling day. we, we, it all depends, the long term, fortunes of both parties will depend on how well the economy does, whether the government achieves any successes in any other area, and above all, what the outcome of Brexit is. Maybe it's making everybody poorer, because yeah. it's caused in, inflation through devaluation. Right. I think it will make people poorer still, yeah. uh, but a lot depends on what the general economy is doing, whether we can actually get out of our present trough and start sharing a bit in the upswing in the global economy yeah. in which the British at the moment are being left behind because of Brexit. Yeah. In terms of just an 
I don't know why I'm harking back to Corbyn so much here, but you know, I'm just going with that, I suppose. Yeah, I don't um, mind talking about Corbyn. Um, in terms of rock and roll politics, this summer we saw at Glastonbury Festival and at Tranmere Rovers Football Club, we saw all this pro Jeremy Corbyn stuff. Yeah, now, that's all what, if, contemporary peripheral nonsense. Well, so I that's suppose, great fun. Well, yeah. I hope so. But, um, Jeremy Corbyn at Glastonbury, you have to admit, is one of the more <laughs> surreal sites, uh, really. <laughs> Um, there is a question there if you'd go to Glastonbury, but uh, but to just stay on topic, if um, if all those young voters they join the the Jeremy Corbyn bandwagon and they get on top, and good good you know good to them because they good luck to them because they see uh, a progressive politician in inverted commas, um, will they be let down? Do you think in the long term by his uh, anti? Well, the young voters are quite sufficient to actually seize control of the Labour Party. They're kind of. 60s lefties, a new incarnation of them amongst the present young, they're very pro-European, which is a big problem for Jeremy uh, and John McDonald. Which is, I think it's because of that that Jeremy's played down his hardline Eurosceptic uh, views. Um, but but there aren't young. enough of them uh, to sweep the Labour Party th- into power unless they organise themselves very well yeah. to general election. They're a great asset to the Labour Party. Mm. But they're, they're, they're not typical of Labour voters, and they turn off the older, traditional Labour vote. They're, they're, the old blue-collar vote that used to vote doggedly Labour in all the northern industrial towns, and the Midlands where I come from and so on, yeah. they, they've lost their steady, predictable loyalty. And these young people, mm. you know, capturing them doesn't mean you're going to recapture People who live in the yeah. north and the Midlands, and the northeast, and so on. Well, I suppose whilst we're talking about other parties and what have you, um, I come from a Liberal Democrat background. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you feel about their um, failure to capitalise on the um, on the general election anti Brexit um, uh, anti Brexit sort of ticket, as it were? And is that their fight back? Is, is that their key? Well, it was rather bewildering, because um, they didn't uh, capture it. They, they, they just weren't seen as very relevant. Hmm. Uh, Tim Farron's a very nice chap, and he had nothing wrong with him, but he, he, he didn't come over as a kind of national leader. Hmm. They needed something like the Clegg effect of 2010 to break through. Hmm. They had been crushed in 2015. Mm. And they just didn't look ready for recovery, really. It was yeah. one of the baffling features of the 2017 election that the Liberals yeah. did quite so badly, which they really did. They only picked up the old seat. Yeah. Um, and they're obviously not yet ready to come back. Vince Cable is a better known, more credible figure as a leader, but Vince. It's my kind of age. We were students together. Well, you have a lot and, of respect for him, don't you? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I get on very well with Vince. He's yeah. a great guy. But and I got on very well with him when I was in cabinet with him in the coalition government. Mm. Whether Vince has become leader of the Labour, Liberal Party a bit late, I'm not sure. Yeah. And so they're they're just not a presence in, in British politics. And as you say, uh, although both of the major parties are in danger of, to use the corny word, polarising. Yeah. The Labour Party is going to the left, the Conservative Party is going to the right. The bulk of the public remain in the middle. Yes. Uh, that hasn't yet benefited the Liberals. And we, yeah. we haven't got a President Macron figure yeah. who would take advantage of that if anybody like that emerged in British politics. Would you like but, to see one? Uh, I, President Macron, I think we need because... We, 
he swept away all the other protest votes. I mean, he put all the traditional parties in the dustbin, yeah. and the Hollande's and the Sarkozy's were all swept away. Yeah. Here he was, the protest man. But he was an economic liberal, he was a social liberal, he was a sort of left of centre, so, uh, centrist, actually. Yeah. But, uh, you know, a man with views that make sense in government. But now, now the, the French didn't vote for that reason, they voted for him as a protest who was less frightening than Madame Le Pen. <laughs> yeah. And now he's, he, he did say what he wanted to do, and nobody voted for that reason, so now he's doing what he said he was going to do, he's getting very unpopular. Well, yeah. But he did yeah. save the French from having some you know, crackpot protest situation, yeah. which in most other Western democracies is what's happening. We hear a daft uh, outburst of protest was uh, the leave vote in the referendum. It was an anti-politics, anti-establishment, anti-change, mm -hmm. anti-modern life uh, vote. Yeah, and um, do, you, do you see a figure arriving at any point in no i don't i say no, we don't have a macron so not not within the labor party within the centrist so keir starmer or i'm just chucking names out here well there are some very good people but that i don't see anybody capable of sweeping the country and getting and and rallying in some new basis uh, the centrist vote which is what macron did yeah. well, but well, but these things don't repeat themselves uh macron that was macron that was france uh anybody who starts giving you opinions as to what they think is going to happen in British politics in the next 12 months Lunatic. is deceiving themselves. Because <laughs> yeah. nobody has a clue what's going to happen. Yeah. We're only a fortnight from Christmas now, so I won't say between now and Christmas, but there's True, probably yeah. not much between now and Christmas. Yeah. But we're on a voyage of discovery. The, the old political sort of truisms have collapsed. It's all shattered. And, and no one knows quite where we're going. And how do you feel about your your role within the, the Tory party, I suppose, how do you see, how, how does it feel to be in the Tory party now? There's so much divide that's been really washed, not washed, but dirty laundry. Everybody can see now that there are really, you know, pretty far right, you know, mentalities within the Tory party. And they're also centralists like yourself. Um, well, it's always been a very broad uh, brush camp. I mean, the British political parties, when the two party system's working properly in Britain, our system is that you have two rather broad coalitions. They'd be coalitions in any other system. Yeah. Yeah. I always say to, you know, Tony Blair and George Galloway were in the same political party for 20 years, and yeah. you can get equally dramatic examples from our side. Uh, at, at the moment, the Conservative Party, the, the right has become influential but not dominant, but far too influential. And, and this wholly destructive subject of Europe, which has caused party huge difficulties for the last 30 years uh, is still poisoning everything uh, but I still hope it will go back to being a centre-right party yeah. free market economics with a social conscience and I haven't changed my views at all I I was once a very mainstream Tory I mean I know the I, I was absolutely in line usually with the official approach of the party certainly on broad brush things I've always had my own opinions and I've always yeah. rather doggedly stuck to them but but the I was a typical 
member of the Conservative establishment mm. for about the last 40 years. That, that and then 18 true, months yeah. ago, it all changed. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I still think it might, and I'm now the rebel. But <laughs> it now, well, okay, I don't think, uh, yeah. you know, John Redwood would, would, will remain the figure of orthodoxy in the Conservative Party for very long. Yeah. I still hope it would go back to being the, the, the more centrist-based party that it was. But when you're looking around the House and you can see um, people like Vince Cable and... Uh, Vera, Hobhouse, etc., etc. These um, pro-European MPs that they sit. Do you have an ounce of jealousy that there is parties that can totally focus to staying in the European Union? They're they're galvanised. No, I'm in the of party of government. I have far more influence where I am than yeah. Vince does where he is. Yeah, you don't sort of have like a sort of a pang of my God, those guys. I'm are- not there for self-indulgence. Yeah. I'm there. Uh, just to try to influence events, which you can do a bit occasionally in politics, you know, all the old stuff about what you're trying to do is make a difference. And, and I do, do think what matters more is the good governance of the country and you know, what sort of country we now think we're going to be in the world you know, for the next, for your generation and for the next uh, several decades probably. Mm. And I'm in a better position to influence that yeah. as a veteran figure on the back benches of the Conservative Party oh, than I am in opposition. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's fantastic. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the press, uh, particularly that um, front page spread of the, the, the Telegraph that had a, a, you te- your terrible saboteurs on the front of it. Mutineers. Mutineers, mutineers. How did how did you feel when you first? Oh, I'm used to being attacked by the the, 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 the press. I mean, the the, the right wing uh, newspapers. There's no conservative pro-European newspaper yeah. on the problem for people like me. All these strange people turned up and bought the newspapers. Conrad Black before he went to prison. Uh, the, Rupert Murdoch, yeah. uh, the, Desmond, all, all these people. And so all, the, 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 the right of centre party newspapers and the ones with big circulation are all rabid right-wing xenophobic uh, newspapers. Yeah. So I'm used to being attacked by them. I think some of the, some of the others, uh, the other members of parliament who were attacked, were I think were a bit put out, yeah. but others were rather provoked at reacting, you know, sort of uh, yeah. very angry. Yeah. It was a stupid attack. The, they all believe that somehow this is undermining the triumph they achieved mm. when they got their readers to vote for Brexit. Yeah. Uh, this bill, the, the bill before Parliament, doesn't. no one's put an amendment down that would reverse the referendum. These ref- amendments don't have the effect of yeah. reversing Brexit. Nobody's, the defeat last night on an amendment it doesn't mean the government will fall. Yeah. The, the Telegraph racists, in fact, the tabloids this morning probably, I haven't seen them all yet, I've seen the front page of the Daily Mail, just tried to do an imitation of the Daily Telegraph. Yeah. They're, they're, they're talking rubbish. Mm-hmm. It's not made Corbyn and government any more likely at all. Yeah. They're just trying to, to rouse their conservative readers into a completely false sense of anger yeah. that somehow... Someone's attempting to reverse the referendum. Well, I mean, I'd yeah. love to reverse the referendum. I thought we could, but I don't think we can. But these debates on the bill, these amendments we're debating, which they never report properly anyway, yeah. will not have the effect of stopping Brexit. No. And if the government's defeated, it won't bring the government down. 
Yeah. So the whole thing is preposterous rubbish anyway. But anyway, I'm standing so I was but it was slightly amused. Uh, <laughs> and my, 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 my advice to the other people was, well, if it upsets you, stop reading it, you know. Yeah. You know, I, don't, I, I have got the Telegraph this morning because eventually I'm going to see what they said about yesterday just yeah. for my amusement. But I don't take the Telegraph normally and I don't take it seriously. Yeah. So you're able to take it with, with, with a pinch of salt, actually. But, but, yeah. I mean, I've... And I just say, I've had 20 years of the Telegraph mm. attacking me. I'm not bothered yeah. by that very much. And uh, I suppose it's public opinion as well. How do you think the public are going to uh, react to last night's... Uh... And they will be divided. One of the worst things about uh, this uh, Europe debate having come to a head of the referendum and so on yeah. is it has had a very divisive effect on the public. Um, most, A lot of the public, about half of them, were quite switched off for all this detail, which yeah. nobody ever told them arisen, so they have no idea what we're talking about, yeah. uh, going on about all these rather single markets and things, what's all that about? But there's a lot of sensible, well-informed members of the public who follow it, and they've polarised again. The Leavers are very, very angry, because they're convinced that people like me are trying to reverse the referendum, and Remainers are very, very angry because they don't think that their future should be compromised by going out of the European Union after the referendum. You'd like so a separate I, I, I find the public, uh, if anything, still in a very divided and, and somewhat hot under the collar mood about the whole thing. You'd like a separate referendum, though, wouldn't you? No. No? I think referendums are a daft way of running things <laughs> in a modern, uh, complicated, sophisticated country yeah. like this one. No, no, I like. I mean, if, Parliament, if I ever thought Parliament was likely to cancel Article 50, which I voted against mm. uh, in Parliament. And, but if ever I thought there was a chance of uh, going back into the European Union, obviously I'd be in favour of it. But, yeah. oh, the political class are terrified of doing that. I, I, so I, I, the, the reality, which I tried to come to terms with, is that we obviously are going to leave the European Union. I'm trying to minimise the damage and retain as close a relationship as we possibly can, benefit from the things we have benefited from for the last 40 odd years, and above all, don't put stupid and unnecessary tariffs and customs barriers and uh, regulatory barriers between ourselves and our major trading and investment partners. Yeah. I mean, the thing's going to cost tens of thousands of jobs before it's over. Yeah. I hope we can avoid losing hundreds of thousands of jobs. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, it's, um, it's one of those things. I think second referendum is now uh, off, I suppose, the, the cards. Well, no, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in the minority of Remainers. I mean, I, I, I probably, I'm not an awful lot of Remainers are going on about a second referendum. Yeah. But they're the ones who didn't oppose the blasted referendum in the first place. I mean, what happens if the Remainers win it? Yeah. I suppose then they're entitled to demand best of three. And, well, now, yes, I'd like yes. to go back to a, a sane way of running a modern country. I think sanity's and that's gone. Parli- that's parliamentary democracy. But I think sanity has taken a little leave of absence, wouldn't you say? I mean, it's just not the way yes. that things are done now. No, it's quite, this is quite the maddest situation in politics I've seen in my lifetime. Yeah. I've followed politics when I was very small, so I've a long time now. And then, oh, I've never seen a shambles like this in my life. If um, Margaret Thatcher would come back tomorrow and at the dispatch box standing there and suddenly the opposition, she looks down and, and Je- Jeremy Corbyn's there. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn was there at that, that time. Michael but Jeremy Ford. always was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's a very nice chap. He's very passionate and sincere. Um, he always made me nostalgic. A classic Benite. Never changed his views any more than I have since I first met him in the early 80s. 
but he always thought he was a fringe figure. I mean, he used to sit yeah. in the corner of the House of Commons. Yeah. Uh, and he voted in line with his principles. And if you'd suggested to Jeremy that he might one day be Prime Minister, he'd have been amused as you know, anybody else would have been by the suggestion. Yeah. So it is startling to see Jeremy there. He's doing it quite well. Yeah. He's actually risen to the job of being you know, quite, quite a credible leader of a political party. But, I mean, his views are, are, are off the wall. And, and in my biased conservative <laughs> opinion, yeah. and I think quite enough of the British public will, will not hand over to he and to McDonald, who's even more hardline than he is. Uh, I don't, the idea that a majority of the public will put them in office, I, I can't see it happening. And I'm less alarmed by that prospect. Mm. I may be complacent yeah. than some people are. Yeah. And so I'd be more worried if the Labour Party were able to get rid of them, which the vast majority of Labour MPs would like to do, yeah. uh, and replace them with more credible people. Yeah. I mean, Yvette Cooper or somebody would be a far more formidable challenge. Well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, can you, can you, I mean, would you say my age, you're 36 years old, and this, uh, this, this subject comes up? EU referendum, blah blah blah, the whole the whole gamut. Would you love to rewind and sort of have another fifteen years of fighting this, twenty years of thirty years of fighting <laughs> well, this? Well, I know I can't. Yeah. So I'm enjoying myself. It is yeah. just interesting. I've never seen. It's when I say I've never seen anything as mad as this. I've never seen a political problem as complex as this. I mean, I, I've got it as a privilege still to be involved. So yeah. I shall do my bit to try to influence events yeah. in the way in which I think they ought to go. Okay, right. Well, welcome back to the Limehouse podcast. Yeah, that's a pretty good level. Um, I'm with Tom King. Hello. Voila. And I'm with Amna Ahmed. So, Amna. Hello. The New Time uh, podcast. This is very exciting. I don't know why I've suddenly moved so far away from the mic. It does sound bizarre, but anyway. Um, <laughs> keep your levels. There you go. Keep your levels, Will. Keep your levels. Uh, Amna, this is amazing to have you here. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. This is one of the weirdest days of my life. I've been to see um, David Runciman and Ken Clark, and I have absolutely no idea that uh, Ken Clark was the interview was lined up for actually last week. So we rescheduled it for this week, and I had no idea about Amendment Seven. Nat one, and so today was pretty uh, epic, epic proportions. How did you guys feel about the um, amendment last night, the result, as it were? Did you punch the air? I was excited about the result, but if we look at it, I think, unfortunately, it just it's nice to know that this government can actually be defeated. It's nice to know that if you do get the Labour Party and some Brexit rebels actually coming over to sort of, you know, the light and shiny side, it, Star Wars is coming out, by the way, so that's <laughs> sort of go for some dark side lightsaber references Good. in there as well today. Wow. Um, So it's nice to know that it can happen um, because it has felt, I think, ever since you had some of the sort of Brexit rebels earlier in the year and the hung parliament result. We, I think some of us um, who've been fighting against Brexit were quite excited. Look, maybe something could happen and nothing has really happened. Labour Party has consistently voted with the government. Um, Theresa May had the sort of wild week last week where it's sort of gone up and down in the polls um, based directly on how she did in Brexit. Brussels or how it was perceived that she did so in a way it was nice it was nice to know that it can actually happen mm. but I'm afraid I don't really think that it's going to have a huge impact 
And, and Tom, your your reaction or to, to, to Amna's point there? Yeah, I, I, I'm afraid I agree. Too little, too late, really, uh, is how I'd put it. So Parliament has routinely kind of ignored its own responsibility to hold the government accountable on Brexit. Um, that's both sort of after the last general election and after the referendum and now in the new Parliament. MPs just don't seem to have grasped the significance of what's going on mm. and the importance of Parliament being independent-minded. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, although it's it's nice, as as, as we say, to, to see finally some Tories, um, especially Dominic Grieve, um, sort of leading the charge yeah. a bit, um, it's very much, yeah, as I say, too little, too late. Yeah. If this had happened on the Article 50 bill, which is where it should have happened, um, we'd be looking at a very different state of affairs. Yeah, yeah. It does seem procedural. It's basically, it, also it just seems quite strange that the government tried to sort of force it through anyway. The fact that if you've been following the coverage, you might have missed some of the finer details, but essentially the government tried to set a binding date for leaving and there was an element of it where they, you know, this idea of a meaningful vote is kind of a strange one anyway. What does it mean? As mm. you, as Tom said, you know, Article 50 was mm. kind of the important moment. And I suppose in some ways it kind of helps uh, some of our MPs who, you know, notoriously, unfortunately, have enormous egos, make them makes them feel a little bit better about themselves. Mm. But unfortunately, I just don't think it's really going to have an impact in the long term. Okay. Well, what's going to be interesting is whether the government changes tack now a little bit based on what Parliament has done. So I think that they're still trying to put a date into the bill next week, which still now seems incredibly weird. Mm. Like now that government uh, Parliament now has the power to technically vote um, against the final deal, yeah, to then put an, an, a specific date into the bill as well. Yeah. now seems like a, a recipe for getting defeated again. How, what, so people might be getting confused, at least I am, I suppose. Yeah. We, we're, we're leaving on the 29th of March, right? That's the Article 50 date. And yeah. that's, that's why this is all kind of irrelevant, because Article 50 is a legal process that's outside of Parliament's control. Yeah. So the only thing that can stop Article 50 is the government. Yes. If they chose to revoke Article 50, which we believe legally they can, or in, in concert with the EU said, let's extend it, which... Mm that's debatable whether that can be done yeah that's quite a delicate process but you'll notice that neither of those processes involve parliament in any way okay and that's because parliament allowed article 50 be, to be triggered in the first place hmm. um so what's what's now the significance of this vote hmm. that's where it gets interesting if you're interested in is it going to be a hard or a soft brexit my personal view is that it actually makes a hard brexit slightly more likely yeah um, because what you'll get is a take it or leave it situation because there's not going to be time. Like no one actually thinks that there's going to be a, sort of a, a good deal done yeah. by March 2019 or it's very, very difficult anyway to yeah. do a very good deal. Um, but if you're an MP, do you then vote down that deal on the on the risk of mm. no deal? I don't think you do, especially if you're one of these Tory rebels who's taken this long to actually put up a fight. And yeah. I do agree with you there. I do think that the no deal scenario, even for those Tory hardliners, um, like for example, my opposite number in Sutton, um, he talks a lot about how no deal is still the preferable option. But I think when it comes down to it and the you know total lack of impact assessments, for example, hmm. um, that you know the total disorganisation of this government when it comes to actually thinking about how Brexit will affect people's day-to-day -day lives, 
Um, I, I think it just means that we're going to end up in a situation where MPs will end up voting for whatever deal. So this is kind of just like yesterday was a nothingness, essentially. Is that is is that kind of what we're we're driving at here? It was just like a nice little bit of decoration. I think what it is window um, dressing. It, it sort of depends on which bit you mean. So it could be seen as window dressing if we're talking about Brexit. We're talking about Article Fifty, and we're talking about exactly what kind of Brexit. I think what's important about it in lots of ways is actually this point around. What does it mean about this government? Yeah. What does it mean about how this government operates? What does it mean about where their red lines are going to be? Because what's basically happened is that pretty much the DUP, as we've already seen, and pretty much every Conservative MP who has ever, um, you know, dithered or had or sits in a Remain constituency can basically say, come to the table and say, this is exactly what mm. I want. Yeah. And uh, what we've seen as well is this kind of inner machinations of what's happening with the, with the Conservatives because um, they've got a new whip and this has now been seen as, um, and Gavin Williamson moved into Michael Fallon's post. So it just means that there's a lot of internal stuff that's sort of changed and moved. Um, and, and the other bit of it, I think, that's quite interesting and sort of fascinating to watch is this bizarre thing about why Theresa May made this happen in the first place. You know, yeah. why it seems almost irrelevant to parts of Brexit. So I think this is an attempt to reassert control and it yeah. just shows you how shaky is government is still yeah. as we go into Christmas and New Year. Well, I mean that's what one of the um, one of the things that I'm I'm most interested in myself was why this didn't even have to go ahead in the first place. Was it Stephen Hammond, uh, who's a, the Wimbledon uh, Tory um, MP? He was saying today how utterly dismayed he was at the fact that this this amendment was even in. Why, why the hell Theresa May hadn't even just said, look you can just have a final say. I mean, she has said that, but she hasn't put it in official writing. They say you will, you're you going to have a, a, a final vote on the deal, but hell, who's going to trust that, you right. know? And and will she even be there in a, in a year's time? You know, fast forward a year, oh my God. Is hard Brexit back on the table because of this? Yes or no? Like you were kind of, like you guys were edging towards that a few minutes ago. They vote. They'll vote anyway. They'll just. They'll just. The final deal. They'll just vote it out anyway. The MPs, rather. I really think it makes very little difference. This amendment to what what what's material to the kind of Brexit we get is is what the government does in Brussels. Yeah. Right. And what we know about the phase two of the negotiations is that the government itself doesn't have an agreed position internally. Mm. So, in that sense, it's relevant, as Amna says, because. If we're seeing the Tory party essentially breaking apart inside due to pressures from different parts of the party, yeah, which seems to be what's happening. You know, this is the first time the, the sort of moderate wing has won a significant victory. Hmm. If that's the case, if they're sort of growing in confidence at the same time as the hardcore Brexiters yeah. are getting more and more angry, um, that... That makes it hard for the government to maintain any kind of position, yeah. which again, in turn, makes it hard for them to negotiate anything. And they yeah. have so little time. Mm-hmm. And this is what people are forgetting. You know, mm-hmm. it's already nearly 2018 and they've got to have it done, you know, by March 2019. Yeah. yeah. And there's an, there's an element as well, I think, um, that is potentially the, the sort of awful media coverage that's been 
a result of this, but also a few weeks ago, you know, the Daily Mail today said, uh, proud of yourselves and had photographs and, you know, all sort of feeds into mm. this sense that actually MPs are in a very precarious position, not just um, on Brexit, but actually when it comes to safeguarding their lives mm. and livelihoods. Um, but what's kind of interesting from, from that part of it is actually that I think there's an element of, if you're a moderate right-wing conservative, if you're all going to get that kind of vitriol and those sort of headlines anyway, why not just go for it? You, sometimes it's happening before the yes, vote. That's a really so good point. why not yeah. just go for it and actually do what you feel like? Yeah. yeah. I mean, look at, look at the Telegraph headline a couple, I don't remember, last week or the week before, where it was, you know, the, the, the nice sort of pen picks of all the different MPs and the mutineers headline. Oh, yeah. That terrific. was before they'd done anything. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. So what's the risk in then doing it? Yeah. And that's going to be interesting. As you say, it's, it's a really interesting dynamic where, I mean, if I were an MP, I wouldn't be that happy about receiving death threats, which, you know, Dominic Grieve said today he had and Anna Subri, we know, has for some time and lots of other people. And, you know, there's that to balance against it. But if if the worst you're going to get is really a Daily Mail headline, yeah, which, to be honest, most people probably feel secretly quite proud of. You know, proud of yourselves. You should be proud of yourselves. Yeah, no. Standing up to the yeah. government. Yeah. It's I mean, a good question mark. It's yeah, really yeah, loaded. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, Ken Clark's definitely had that for years and years anyway, like, you know, being derided by the, the, the Telegraph. How do we, how do you guys, I mean, I know, Amna, you, you, your work in Sutton, that's a, a pretty even split, isn't it, on um, uh, Leave Remain. How, how do the people, I mean, obviously you haven't been out today door knocking, it's so soon. Excuse me, I might have. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you're a Liberal Democrat, you probably have. You've got the flyers already. Um, is it, um, how, yeah, how do you feel that the, the wider public are going to uh, receive this, this news? I think it's becoming part, it's becoming a blur. Mm. I think the Brexit news um, on the doorstep is becoming a blur. I think I still hear from some people who sort of say, oh, you know, um, I just want it done with. I voted to leave and I just think that you Liberal Democrats with the second referendum thing, it's all nonsense. But that I'm hearing much less than I did before the election this year. Mm. That mood has changed because people are seeing that it's actually quite difficult and it's frankly, from their perspective, quite boring. And it might well um, make their grocery shop a bit more expensive. Mm. It might well raise fuel prices, not that that's directly linked, but it might just make the cost of living, you know, just going about your business day to day, really yeah. pricey. And there's that sense of, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen with it. Um, but I think the sense, in, so Sutton actually voted as a majority, it was quite evenly split, but they voted to leave. They're one of the few London boroughs mm. that did vote to leave. And um, the current Conservative MP is a Brexiteer, is a sort of no deal Brexiteer. And I think that is becoming a really precarious position. I think that is becoming a very difficult position um, to be able to defend, to say that you would happily vote on something that could jeopardise people's future mm. um, and really get in the way of how they live their lives. I think the second referendum piece is becoming more accepted and we've seen that in sort of polling, yeah. but I've also heard it on the doorstep. Mm. Yeah, Tom, where are you on the uh, the wider public and, and, and how, how you feel they might be reacting? The, the masterful mind of Tom King. <laughs> I, I think... Um, 
I, I remain very unconvinced of the Liberal Democrat policy on a second referendum. I don't think a second referendum is required or needed. Um, and I don't think it's an effective policy. I think the Lib Dems have, have had it for two elections and it's, well, for one election and it's not gone that well. Um, and also Labour are, are now starting to make noises about it. Um, and I think they will get the credit in the end if there is a second referendum because they'll, they'll have been the party that's shifted. Yeah. And, uh, you know, going back to Michael Heseltine, who we had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, it's for Parliament. You know, I, I think I really think what the UK currently needs is a massive reassertion of representative democracy. And that's that's for Parliament to do. Mm. And this amendment is one sign that maybe some people are waking up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we currently need is a, is a big shift in public sentiment about Brexit, which we, as you suggest, may occur through things like price rises. And people are starting to feel the pinch. I think, you know, there was inflation numbers out this week, which, you know, inflation is still way higher than wage rises. Yeah. While that's the case, people tend to feel, you know, an actual effect in their pocket. Mm. Um and that's probably more significant than anything the politicians can do at this point. Yeah, I actually think the other interesting element, and I think as Liberal Democrats don't sort of talk about it enough actually, is how the net migration figures have been received by the public. Mm. And I think those headlines on the net migration figures will actually have been received quite well in some areas. People who have been concerned about immigration, people who have talked about it you know as a perhaps a motivator for voting leave not everybody but some people have and I'm definitely one of these kind of staunch remainers that's trying to understand the other in order to yeah yeah you know you know I think we've moved on I think we can't fight Brexit like we tried to last year yeah and I think we're in a different conversation and I think it's a sort of understanding and moving forward together conversation yeah um I think at the moment the most likely outcome is a soft Brexit. Okay. For me, I find that really frustrating because it just sounds like a lot of money that could be spent on other things. That could be spent on local government services. It could be spent on the NHS. And that we apparently have, we have a billion pounds to give to the DUP, apparently. Yeah. Found it back down the back of the sofa. When I looked down the back of the sofa, I found those old one pound coins you can't use anymore. Not, <laughs> not, not a billion pounds. Yeah. So, you know, we are in a a strange situation where the government's spending so much time shooting itself in the foot. Shall we deviate away from Brexit? We will bring Brexit to a close and come back with something very interesting in just this second. Yeah, I think another thing to talk about today is uh, it's the six month anniversary of the Grenfell fire. Um, and uh, there's been a lot of coverage of that in the press. Um, and I think that's really, it's a shame that that's gone by the wayside. It's a good example of an issue that, you know, um, should have been front and centre and should have had a much bigger response from government. But because of Brexit, it's really not receiving the attention it should get. It's a real yeah. failure of government from every level. Um, so, yeah, that's that's cheery news as we approach Christmas, I suppose. But, yeah. yeah, and I think it's just, I mean, when you look at what's really happened with the, with the victims of the fire this, and... and of course, those um, men, women and children who died in the fire, but then also the survivors and the total lack of support and resources that they've been offered. I mean, the budget did give a bit of money, but not really nearly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had the Met Police um, commissioner saying, look, we're not going to have anything near um, criminal sort of um, inquiry results and at least a year 
definitely most probably longer so in terms of any kind of anything for the victim so let's talk about let's before we even get to like getting them somewhere to live i mean they haven't got any kind of justice and i think it points to a wider problem exactly as tom has said that frankly brexit is causing us to be looking away and um, from the real issues Mm. and it's it's almost just like it feels to me sometimes like just an enormous con um we're just constantly spending our time contemplating things which are not quite relevant of course they're really important but they are not the things that are actually making me look inwards and think about who we are as a society and i think the grenfell fire and the way it's been handled um i mean we haven't got any more money for sprinkler systems on a local council and government um basis local government cuts are still going ahead uh, there was no real money for anything beyond a little bit of housing money and some sops to um, helping young people yeah. buy homes which frankly was very little in wasn't the budget it, wasn't it just an open goal for the for this government to get back in with our, this country and just simply just we are going to treat these people like members of the royal family we are going to look after these people front and centre how have they fucked this up so badly? And look, I don't like generalizations, um, but they're not the—they're not their people, really. I think, unfortunately, that's for me. That's how it's really come about, and that's yeah. unfortunately. And and this is this is not a kind of slur on all conservatives, Labour, Liberal Democrat, because I don't think all people of all parties or or I'm not that partisan. But unfortunately, the council, Kensington Chelsea Council, did actually have money to spend on it, but haven't done the things even after the event that they should have. Yeah, you know, Todd, if, do you do you want to? add anything to those words. Theresa May came to power on the promise of being, you know, socially conscious um, and making maybe more investments in society than than, uh, than Cameron, her predecessor, had. And, you know, she she talked the talk. She wanted to address these sort of burning social issues, yeah. um, which has un- become a very unfortunate phrase. And, you know, last week or the week before, we saw the Social Mobility Commission resign en masse. Hmm. You know, that's, that's something that the coalition government set up Precisely because they knew, you know, governments of any colour hadn't done enough. Alan Milburn. Is yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. So a, a, a former Labour minister yeah. uh, appointed by the coalition government and now under Theresa May has resigned, you know, and his whole team's walked out. Yeah. And that's that's emblematic of May's total failure yeah. on, on this on a national level, but also on a local level. And if we're going to talk about the divisions in society that lead to something like Brexit, this is absolutely where it comes from this feeling that people aren't being helped and then when it comes to a real crux issue where people's lives are lost tragically they're still not being helped you know what's it going to take for for the government of the country to really step into the responsibility that it has for people and the number of children in poverty has risen for the first time in 25 years that's from a recent report from child poverty action group yeah so it's um really frustrating to see it happen on all fronts you know because you you could argue that what happened at the grenfell tower was such a tragedy and it couldn't have been stopped but now we know that well we'll know more from the inquiry but quite possibly investment could have stopped that tragedy happening and being as bad as it was but you know that's looking at the past but let's 
think about what we can actually do in the future and mm. that could be some money for sprinkler systems yeah it could be some money for changing cladding it's some really basic sounds dull but saves lives type stuff mm. and it's this kind of thing actually that i fear will also fall apart in the bonfire of eu regulations that mm. i think many brexiteer mps are looking forward to we'll bring tonight to a close this is probably the second to last episode before christmas so um yeah, get out there, do your shopping, and... Oh, that's the dog growling. That's nice. That's and if you fun. fancy throwing the Limehouse podcast a couple of quid at Christmas... Oh, yeah, Why yeah. not? Yeah, yeah, that's on the... Chom, do you want to do that? Because I'm... Ugh, yeah, go to patreon.com forward slash the Limehouse podcast. Yeah. And throw us your five quid, you know. Boom. Buy a few less chocolates. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or just... Yeah, buy, buy some more bitcoins, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, on less that note, it's going to be good night from me, or good good morning, or whatever, good day, goodbye from me, and... Good night from me. And good night from me. Ciao, ciao. Your favourite John Coltrane album, because I am I am slightly obsessed with um, Blue Train, the album, and the title track itself. Blue Train's one of the early ones, one of the more straightforward hard um, bot ones. Yeah, yeah. very good. Um, a good Christmas present for my father-in-law. <laughs> what, what, what should I, I get? I don't your father-in-law's... He loves his jazz. Uh, well, I'm, I'm a very fond of keen on Coltrane. And I'm a, if I had to choose, I mean, when people ask me, they've started doing recently, who's my favourite jazz artist, I'm not quite sure. I always go for Charlie Mingus. Have I come across Charlie Mingus? I Different. Yeah. Not at all. Classic hard bop. Quite, quite, uh, kind of bluesy, but uh, uh, Charlie Mingus Town Hall Concert or something of that kind I'd go for. Well, thank you very much. And Ken, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Marvellous. Okay. Righty-ho.